Yep. <laughs> like, feel free to cut that yep. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to keep that in. I'm going to actually open the show with just that. Hey, I'm Raid. And I'm Harry. And it is raining in February. And it's terrible. And this is A for Effort. The game show where we bring a couple of words or phrases or cups of phlegm and then have to <laughs> oh. guess whether those words, phrases, or cups of phlegm mean something. And generally they do mean something. And then guess what that something is. <laughs> yeah, they never mean nothing. This week, do you want to say your terms first? Sure, yeah. All right, great. Definitely. So my theme is linguistics. My first word is stylistics. Okay, stylistics in the context of linguistics. So linguistics is the study of language. True. Stylistics, does it have something to do with how you're delivering speech? Not really. It's not speech as well. Does it have to do with hearing? No... Is it written? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Stylistics evokes the term style. Mm-hmm. And when I think about a writing style, different sentences can have different lengths, and that lends mm. itself a certain, lends the paragraph or piece a certain rhythm. Yeah. But as I was describing that, I started thinking that perhaps stylistics is the way that you organize your written content to reflect the way that you speak. So first of all, I'd like to clarify that stylistics is the study of something. Is it the study of how you deliver whatever content, whether it be written or in speaking, Mm -hmm. and how that varies across situations? Situations is a general term. Could you... How that varies across different contexts, like when you're speaking to somebody who is at the same level of fluency as you, you'll probably present it differently than if you're speaking to a child. Not fluency. Uh, Do you want me to just go for <laughs> it? Yeah, just go okay. for it. Genres, editorial, or narrative formats. Okay, so how language differs across those formats? Yeah, language or discourse differs across like an article in a newspaper or a journal article or a book or arts just speaking conversationally. Okay. Cool. And stylistics is the study of the differences across those. Not necessarily the study of the differences, but like the study of language using those differences, if you see what I mean. Okay, so perhaps this is one of those things where it seems intuitive that different representations of language mm-hmm. can convey different insights into language. Yeah. Like when you are reading and writing, mm-hmm. explicit sentence structure yeah. is more apparent. Yeah. Whereas conversationally, things like tone mm-hmm. are more important, are more apparent. Okay, so to summarize, mm-hmm. stylistics is the study of language using different genres. Yeah, or editorial or, editor- or narrative formats. Okay, cool. My next one is speech community. Okay, speech, <laughs> vocal productions, mm-hmm. community. A collection of participants bound by some commonality. That's true. And so a speech community, is it a community of people who are united by the fact that they speak the same language? No. It's like more voluntary than that. Like it's more about their beliefs. Is it a subset within 
people who already speak the same language, who have certain tendencies in the way that they use the language that sets them apart from other language users. It's almost like a quasi-dialect. It's not a fully differentiated language, but it is a language group underneath a larger language. I would say yes enough that I can now explain what it actually is. Do you see what I mean? But like, yes, pretty much. Okay, cool. But it's a group of people who share a set of linguistic norms or expectations about that language. Right. So like if we were a speech community, because we were both like, we believe that we should always say whom in object form. Uh, okay. Right. Yeah. We're a speech community. <laughs> which I, just means, I say that's that right. all the time. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's grammatically correct. <laughs> but like that would be a speech community of people who share a same set of linguistic expectations, values or norms on a, for a certain language. OK, cool. And my final word, I, it's more of a concept. I, I set I kind of put the dichotomy of the two because it's easier to figure out, I think. So it's competence versus performance in terms of like the formation of linguistics or like the growth of language or the use of language within people. You know what I mean? Like developmental linguistics. Okay. Competence versus performance in the development and use of language. Mm -hmm. I have come across this before, okay, but in such a way that it might inhibit me from getting the concept. Yes. But we've we've had that before. Yes. Yeah. It's Noam Chomsky. Yes, I know it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Noam Chomsky has a book called Who Rules the World, mm-hmm. I think. But the way that the cover is designed, yeah. it's like, who rules the world? Noam Chomsky. <laughs> 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 is that like a remix of Who Runs the World, Girls? <laughs> yeah, yes, I think so. <laughs> who rules the world? Noam, Noam Chomsky. Chomsky. <laughs> <laughs> Competence versus performance. Mm-hmm. I think... Performance is the ability to just speak the language, but competence is the deeper ability to interact with the language. Kind of. It's not like an ability to interact. It's Mm -hmm. like more basic than that. In these strains of memory, it's like performance is sort of the more shallow Mm -hmm. of the two. And so I still think performance is the ability to just speak the language, but competence is somewhat vaguely defined as like a basic. It's to really understand the language it's and jo- its structure. Do you mean just... Yeah, sure. It's just like a basic capacity for language. Okay. Whereas performance is a specific way in which you speak it. But like competence is just like having a, an innate capacity or potential for like having language. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So like you have competence, which is just an ability to speak mm-hmm. or a capacity for language. Okay, got it. And then it. performance is like the specific way in which you speak. Got it. So I was incorrect then in thinking that performance is like the more shallow of the two things because really competence is kind of the fundamental thing. Mm -hmm. I think competence is just something totally different from what I thought it was. Yeah. So the shallowness definition doesn't really even apply. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really shallow versus deep. Yes. Yes. Yeah. In one of my classes last year, we Mm -hmm. there was a section on language. One thing in the textbook that I really enjoyed was this discussion of reading Mm. as making language opaque. Often it's transparent in that you're reading it for the content Mm. and how, I don't know, if you read The Boy Who Cried Wolf, then you're sort of seeing the story play out like through the translucent language. But then when you dissect and analyze writings, it's like you're making the language opaque and you're no longer trying to see through it. You're looking at the language itself and the way that it's constructed. Yeah. And you're like kind of meta. So like language is like a 
medium through which you see meaning. But if you're constructing or deconstructing language itself, then it's no longer about the meaning it conveys. It's about the language itself. So it's no longer transparent. Yes. And I just like the imagery of transparency or translucency to opacity. Yeah, I agree. I think that's really nice. Yeah. Mm. Thanks so much. (laughs) All right. That is the end of round one. Okay, my theme for this week is developing expertise. Oh. Or just skill development in okay. general. Is the first term 10,000, the second term <laughs> hours, and the third term Malcolm Gladwell? <laughs> yeah, the third term is actually outlier. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the first term is deliberate practice. Okay. And so. I think that that's a pretty intuitive term. Mm-hmm. And so once you basically define the two deliberate words practice. And relate it to developing expertise. Yes. I'd like you to posit some things that would be included in deliberate practice. So I would start by saying that deliberate practice in relation to developing expertise would mean repeating a certain task or activity, whatever you want to be an expert in, in a deliberate, intentional, and purposeful way. Those are all my synonyms. (laughs) To the extent that, or to the end, that you develop some form of capacity or expertise in that task. Mm -hmm. So I'm supposed to posit some specific things that that would include? Yes. So does repetition count? Yep. Repetition, being mindful that you're doing it. Yep. Like being conscious of the fact that you're doing it. (laughs) Yeah, being unconscious. Being awake. (laughs) (laughs) Opening your eyes. (laughs) I can't think of any other one. Okay, cool. It is marked by well-defined goals that you're working towards. Classic. Focus on the task at hand, which you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Performance feedback. Mm -hmm. So you do something and then you know whether you've done it correctly or incorrectly. Yes. And that's different from praise. You don't, yeah. praise is not necessary to improve in a field. Mm-hmm. But positive, but, feed, not positive, what was the word? <laughs> but performance feedback performance is. Feedback, yeah. <laughs> praise isn't good, but being told you're great helps. <laughs> positive only feedback. <laughs> and uh, you want to constantly be challenging yourself. So okay. pushing the bounds of what you're able to do. So it's challenging yourself, yep. performance, feedback, yep. goal setting, and being focused on the task at hand. Correct. And that's deliberate practice. All of those things actually also apply to something called purposeful practice, but oh. then deliberate practice is further marked by participating in a field that's relatively developed, Okay. where there are standard best practices. Deliberate practice also involves being coached by somebody. Okay. So there's kind of a hierarchy of practices, mm-hmm. those naive practice, purposeful practice, deliberate practice, uh, with naive practice being you just repeat something, but right. you're not really pushing yourself. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you play the same song on guitar hundreds of times, but you're not focused on the problem areas right. or on specific things that you can mm-hmm. make better, that's just kind of naive practice and you probably won't see much improvement. And then purposeful practice is better mm-hmm. because it's motivated and yep. specific and directed mm-hmm. and you get feedback and then deliberate practice is the ultimate form of practice wow yeah all right numero da my second term mm-hmm. is egocentric speech egocentric speech yeah is that saying something in like an i format like about yourself like i think this i feel this i want this it's a developmental so egocentric thing. speech begins as I statements and develops into more complex versions of yourself, like speaking in an implied I sense. I'm trying to... I think it'll be difficult to get okay, because it's also because somewhat just, tangential. Yeah, if you could. 
Right, this is developing expert. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Egocentric speech mm-hmm. is speech that is talking to yourself and it kind of guides you through an activity. Okay. It only privileges your point of view. Point of view. Yeah, so it and starts... And you're talking to yourself? It starts... I think, I think of it as... Uh, it just becomes your running monologue. Right. So when you're a child, it starts by, uh, for example, a child takes a car and puts it on top of a brick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Weird paradigm. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, exactly. Takes a car and puts it on top of a brick. <laughs> okay, it takes a takes a car and puts it at the top of a ramp. Sure. And instead of saying, I'm putting this car on this ramp, they say, now I'll take this and I put it on that. They know what they're referring to. Oh, okay. But for somebody who isn't them, yes. it's like, what are you doing? And, you know, the term was coined by yeah. Jean Piaget in the 1920s. And he thought that egocentric speech is a sign of immaturity and that mm. as you got older and started using more definite terminology that doesn't just privilege your perspective, right. it was a sign of your maturation is it like a kind of empathy not using egocentric speech like to understand that someone else doesn't understand or is that jean piaget was a developmental psychologist mm-hmm. so it probably had to do with a development of a sense of self or yes, theory of mind and then like an external self as yes well. yes and theory of mind as understanding that other people yes have a mind yes have a mind and have different perspectives and exist um but then lee vygotsky in the 1930s thought that egocentric speech, instead of being something that you grew out of, was mm-hmm. something that you internalized, and it became what he called inner speech. Okay. And it's the inner monologue that guides your actions. Those are theoretical, so mm. like, there isn't really yes. a, a resolution to that. Yeah, there's no like clinical disjunction. basis. Yeah. I think it'll become clear how it relates. Mm-hmm to skill development once we talk about our next term, but I don't want to spoil the next term, so we'll loop back to this. So egocentric speech is speech that privileges your internal monologue and has been defined by some as a developmental stage that you move past and others as something that you eventually internalize. All right, so my final term is zone of proximal development, also called the adjacent possible zone of proximal development so zone an area place proximal close or near and development progression movement so a place of near movement or near progression and it's to do with developing expertise yes so it's like a place in your development of expertise where you're close to achieving something you're next to or near to achieving your expertise level but like have to do something more or like there's one final step or something like that or whatever means you've used to reach that zone now have to be changed or something like that that's all i got right the zone of proximal development also called the adjacent possible is something that you do not yet know okay but is within your reach i think the following exercise in imagery will be helpful if you look at figure 21 If you think about everything that you know in mm-hmm. a certain area as a solid circle, okay, and you can draw a dotted circle outside of that solid circle, mm-hmm. but only like two centimeters away from the right. inner circle at every I point. I see what you mean. Then that outer area is the zone of proximal development. Yes. You know enough such that you can reach yeah. the next step. When you reach the next step, then the solid circle becomes 
filled into that whole space. And, and your the dotted zone circle prox- grows. Exactly. Well, like vectors is like grade 11 physics or whatever. Yeah. So, to like do that, you have to know how to do algebra. Yes. If you don't know how to do algebra, yes. then vectors are not within your zone of proximal development. Yes. And if you don't know how to do addition and subtraction and like multiplication and division and whatever, yes. then algebra is not within your zone of proximal development. So Vygotsky wrote about this in his book, Thought and Language, which mm-hmm. is where egocentric speech is also referenced. And the zone of proximal development, it's knowledge accessible when you get help from more experienced mentors or mm-hmm. peers. And Vygotsky postulated that the way you come to hold that further knowledge is Mm -hmm. by training your egocentric speech with the help of these mentors or peers to be able to Mm -hmm. think in the correct way, expand your mental representation of the concept to contain the stuff that's in the zone of proximal development. Okay. Anders Ericsson and Robert Poole talk a lot about developing mental representations in the book Peak and, and deliberate practice is so effective because Mm -hmm. it's developing your mental representations, i.e. just your understanding of whatever task. Mm -hmm. At one point, he also uses a metaphor about building a ladder where you start climbing the ladder and you're building it rung by rung. Mm -hmm. You can't really skip rungs. So I think the building of the ladder rung by rung is analogous to expanding into subsequent zones of proximal development. Each next rung is the zone of proximal development. Yes. But you can't go from zone or from rung one to rung three. Right. Um, Yeah. So it's like the next accessible knowledge. Yes. The next accessible knowledge step in your progression towards omnipotence (laughs) and godlike power. Yeah. All right. Cool. (laughs) Great. That is the end of my tour. doing scores out of five correct yes i'm ready with my scores i'm ready with my scores all right do you want to give the scores first sure for stylistics i gave you two for speech community i gave you four and for competence first performance i gave you three all right for deliberate practice i gave you four for egocentric speech i gave you two and for zone of proximal development i gave you four Oh, wow. Thank you. All right. So you got a 9 out of 15. All right. And you got 10 out of 15. So if you want to learn more about developing expertise or just developing skills, the category was prompted by a book that I'm reading called Peak by Anders Ericsson and Robert Poole. A while ago, I stumbled across a video on YouTube about the zone of proximal development. So that will be in the show notes, as well as links to Thought and Language by Vygotsky, where egocentric speech and the zone of proximal development originated, and another book about flow states. And I mentioned flow states briefly in the definition of deliberate practice. And if you want to learn more about linguistics, I would recommend doing not what I did, (laughs) which is reading the Wikipedia page and doing something other than that. Okay. A for Effort is hosted and produced by me, Mairead. And hosted and produced by me, Harry. <laughs> and edited by me, Mairead. Our music is Chop Shop Instrumental by White Flowers, and our logo is by Eights. You can find us on iTunes. You can email us at aforeffortcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search A for Effort. We will be there. And until next time. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> See you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. It's just nice that, like, you don't care that other people think you look terrible, you know? (laughs) 
that's so I just take so much strength from how little you worry about how much we all say you look terrible. <laughs>